Well, we are just really happy that you're with us today. And we hope that you'll enjoy this podcast with Lindsay Drew. Uh, we've entitled it In the Arena because Lindsay is one of those persons who is dedicating her life to helping others and lifting others up and being in the arena as a local public official and now as a candidate for higher office. She's a, also a business owner, a business creator, and um, wants to be one of those kinds of people who make a difference uh, you know, for, for her community for her state and and for the world. Yeah, and I just think about this being almost our second to last episode before the end of season two, and all of the special guests that we've had throughout this past year, and and she's just another one that we we know we're going to go back and listen to this episode again because her story is riveting, and, and she, as you mentioned, is somebody who's willing to take her story and use it. Um, as, as a way of, of pressing forward, of, of leaning in, as we, we use this phrase often, leaning into discomfort, um, just to, to find a better way to, to provide hope and healing and inspiration to so many. Yes, and so we hope you'll enjoy it. And we're so grateful again that you're with us today. So let's start with the um, introduction and the biography of Lindsay Drew. Lindsay Drew of Hershey, Pennsylvania, is a single parent who grew up in a working middle-class family. After experiencing personal tragedy through the loss of her younger sister in 2008 and becoming a mother in 2010, Lindsay started her own company to provide marketing services to small businesses and nonprofit organizations and devotes much of her time to advocacy and service of others through involvement with nonprofit organizations and public service as a school board director. Lindsay is also the founder of the Jessica Drew Sunshine Memorial Fund, Inc., a nonprofit created in memory of her sister, which provides educational scholarships and grants to community organizing. And currently, Lindsay is a candidate for a Pennsylvania State Representative House seat. She's driven by the belief that we rise by lifting others. There's definitely some questions we'd love to just get into today. If you'd be willing uh, to participate for an hour with us, we, uh, we really appreciate your time and your service. And one of the things that we just would love for you to talk a little bit about today is your life and your career in service and maybe talk about your, some of your inspiration and what motivates you. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for having me and inviting me to have this conversation. Uh, it is just really a highlight in the week for me to be able to talk in this way and, um, you know, have honest dialogue about things in, in a world that feels so crazy. Uh, but for me, you know, I believe that from the time I was very young, I always felt called to serve. Uh, my mom and, and my dad both joke that where I'm at currently in life doesn't surprise them or shock them because I've always been, you know, of that mindset. I just didn't see it in myself uh, that way um, because, you know, when you're growing up, you don't recognize those things, but I've always wanted to be a helper. Um, I grew up in a family that my grandmother uh, was an avid volunteer in the community. We used to joke with her that she would run the bingo at the senior center. We're like, Nana, you know you're a senior. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be the one participating here. But it was always, you know, who she was to, to do that. And I absolutely think joining her throughout, you know, my early life uh, really set that in motion um, of wanting to be mindful and caring for other people. Um, my dad was also very involved in the political sense on our on a local level as um, I was growing up in Maine. So I would go with him to visit residents who were in need of services and help. And so I've always kind of been able to see uh, the the issues that existed and the the reality of the people, you know, that needed something. Um, but then as I kind of hit my stride going from, you know, post high school into college and, uh, you know, going through all of that, I fell into that typical, uh, you know, looking out for myself mindset. Um, it was in the corporate environment and, uh, you know, banking and was kind of hungry for success and to prove myself in that way. Um, and then 
the you know the moment that I know you are both familiar with was the day that I got the phone call that my sister had been in an accident. Um, looking back on that now, it's been 12 years, but that day is what I can pinpoint as a turning point for me in my life and the way that I wanted to live. Um, and the influence and what I believe the legacy that, you know, my sister created is what started that because I took for granted having someone like her and, you know, in our, in my world um, and that positive influence. Um, and I want to make sure that other people have a Jesse. Um, so when I, you know, look back, I, I hit this kind of turning point in the process of losing someone that you love and recognizing that I could acknowledge that the rug had been pulled completely out, right? Like everything stopped, uh, you know, in life and nothing felt important other than the grief that I felt. But I was able to recognize that I had a choice in that moment, that I could turn down one direction and allow that grief to internalize in a way that I wasn't sure who I was as a person would ever come back from, or I could find the silver lining. I could find the purpose in, you know, in, in the experience and in the grief. And I often talk about, I would do literally anything to have her um, in my life for my son to know her, but I am so remarkably a stronger, better person um, who can give back to society as a result of not just knowing her, but losing her um, because I, that was a wake up call. Um, and so now when I look at it, that was the moment for me that service became everything because of who she was. And so often when people pass, uh, everyone, regardless of the things they've done in life, there's this, you know, I can't even think of the, you know, the correct phrase for it, but you make them angelic almost, right? Like the hero. You only focus on, on the good things and, and people see things in a different way. And I've often said, like, I analyze the bias that, that comes from getting to that place. But the truth is, is like, Jessie is exactly who we say she was. Um, because, you know, over a decade later, we still hear new stories of how she touched someone's life or how her legacy has touched someone's life. Um, and so for me, from that point, I wanted to make sure that I lived a life for the rest of my days on earth in a way that helped others live a tremendously alive one. And that kind of kicked off what servant leadership looked like for me. Um, and, you know, I really dove in and invested um, time for myself in learning and, uh, you know, the ways that I could use the skills I had um, and the way that I could enhance and grow in those to be able to, to give back to my community. Um, and that was through leadership development programs, nonprofits, you know, work starting uh, the nonprofit for um, in Jesse's memory and, you know, those experiences of being able to give back and seeing the difference that we could make. Could you talk a little bit, and we know this is not easy, that it's a very emotional and very heartfelt um, thing for you, understandably. Talk a little bit about Jessie and who she was, what it, what it yeah. was about her that has motivated you, and, sure. and what, the, what the Jessica Drew Memorial Sunshine Fund is about, that, that you and sure. your family established in her memory. And, and before you do that, I just need to say, for the purposes of full disclosure to everyone who's listening, that I knew Jesse very personally. Um, as, as, uh, as a teenager especially, I was the pastor of the church to which your family were, member, which your family were members, and Jesse was part of, part of the church and part of the youth group. And my goodness, um, I, I just remember <laughs> her energy and her laughter, her, her smile, her vivaciousness. 
she was a ray of sunshine. I mean, the, the, the name that you've given to this foundation in her memory uh, is, is very, very, very appropriate. And so if you could just share a little bit personally about her and then hmm. what um, the, the fund does. Sure. Um, so, I mean, you put it perfectly. Jessie was a ray of sunshine. Um, I was four years older than her. And from the time she came into this world, she just brought joy. She was someone that no matter how hard the circumstances of any particular moment in time was, she could find the positive, the positive part of it. And that's not to say that she didn't, um, you know, have her own time of, of feeling the, the weight of the world or, you know, negativity or, or whatnot. You know, she was certainly not a perfect person, but she always, was able to look at others while also taking care of herself. Um, and when I look back, you know, through her high school experience, one thing that I can recall, you know, talking to her about is the, the idea of it's a blessing and a curse to feel everything so deeply. Um, because I've been, you know, that, that same personality uh, growing up. And so she and I always had this very special bond because we saw the world in a similar way. We always wanted to see the good in people um, and understand that with lo enough love that we believed that that could be found um, and that maybe people just need to be heard and be loved in a way that they've not had uh, that experience for. And so you know, we joked, <laughs> Jesse was the type of friend that like tried to be everywhere at once and would give you like the absolute shirt off her back. Um, after she passed and my mom went to like close out her bank account, <laughs> she had been working all the time and had nothing. Like she had like 23 cents or something like that. And it was because she was the one who would do, you know, for others. It didn't matter if she, if it was her last dollar that she was giving, if she felt someone needed something or, you know, just that cup of coffee even that she would do it. Um, and she was just so gracious and generous in that way. Um, you know, she would regularly leave a tip for a waitress that was as much as the bill because she could recognize that, you know, that that individual was working hard or she had made some connection to, to understand the need that that person may have. Um, and it was one of those things I often talk about, you know, people say, well, do you have any regrets or... Um, the fact that she was taken suddenly, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Um, but I don't think I needed that. I've often said that losing her in the way that we did, while incredibly traumatic, and um, I still have moments where you think about that minute and it hits you and takes the wind right out of your sails. Like the day before she passed, I was uh, visiting at my mom's house. I lived in Harrisburg at the time and my mom was in Hershey and Jesse lived there. And I had gotten there. We, I was in the process of uh, planning my wedding and we were meeting with a photographer and they were kind of, or a videographer and they were coming to my mom's house that night. So we were there kind of pulling out photos and, you know, going through things. And she had been there and was sleeping, taking a nap when, we, when we first got there. And then she woke up and she had like a million places to go. And I remember thinking, saying, well, I thought you were gonna stay and help us, you know, sit through this because she was my maid of honor. And she's like, wow, Lynn's, I was. She said, but this person needs this and this person needs that and uh, like, you understand, right? <laughs> and that's how she would always gonna get away with those things. And I was like, yes, I understand. And so she was getting ready to leave and we had this joke, we called each other sweetie. And she, uh, I wish I had that on tape because I could never like properly describe it, but we had this like voice that we talked to each other in and we called each other sweetie and it would be like, oh, sweetie. And then we would go back and forth bantering about who was more beautiful and who loved the other one more. And it was just this regular thing. And so as she was getting ready to leave the house that night, I was like, sweetie, like I had just gotten a new car like the day before. And I was like, you've got to see my new car before you go. Let me show you. Da, da, da. So she went outside with me and she was getting ready to leave. And I showed it to her 
And I was going back into my mom's house and I was like, all right, well, have fun. See you later. And I was almost to the door. And I remember she jumped out of her car and was like, sweetie. And I turned around and she just went, oh, you're beautiful. And she came barreling towards me and just jumped up and like grabbed me in this hug and kissed me on the cheek. And she just looked at me and said, no one loves you like I do, sweetie. And I laughed and I hugged him and I said, you're going to be late. So I love you. And that was the last thing. That was the last exchange. And she didn't know she was going to die the next day, but she lived in a way that she could because she never left someone feeling empty. And so when I look back on it, to have that as my last moment with her, to not to realize that less than 24 hours later, I would never get the chance to say that to her again is um, I'm grateful for it because I would never have wanted to watch her suffer through an illness or to see her become someone that she wasn't. Um, and that is, you know, so when I talk about sunshine and that, that's who she was, like that most defining moment for me um, prior to losing her is sunshine. So after she passed, that night, um, I remember we were in the hospital, the Hershey Medical Center was under construction. And I had gotten to the hospital and we didn't know, I didn't know at that time that she had not made it. Um, I just knew she was in an accident and I had been in downtown Harrisburg working. And I remember you had to go through this long cattle shoot of, you know, like construction setup, and I had heels on. And I was running in heels <laughs> and I was laughing because I was out of breath and running in heels and my feet hurt after a long day. And I was envisioning that when I got in there, that she was going to laugh at me that I had run and, you know, that I was being overdramatic in wanting to be there. Um, and I got in and there were people waiting in the uh, waiting area and um, I was just so frustrated because no one would pay attention to me. Like I was not getting a turn to find out where to go. I wasn't waiting to check in. I just needed to know how to get to my sister. And I finally, in this very exasperated way, was like, I just need someone to tell me where to go. And there were two individuals standing there and they turned around and they're like, well, what are you trying to do? And I was like, my sister was brought in. She was in a car accident and I just need to know how to get to her. And the gentleman said to me, what's the patient's name? And I said, it's Jessica Drew. Like she was brought in by ambulance, like where, where do I go? And he had a badge on and he moved his badge behind his neck um, and said, I'll take you, come on. And we walked through the doors and I knew the setup of the hospital at the time was you would go straight or you would go right to get to any patient you know, area. If you went left, though, so that was the hallway that had the family rooms that you went to get bad news. And he turned to the left. And I stopped and I said, No, I'm sorry. Like, I want to go straight to her. And he's like, Well, just come this way. And I'm like, I know what that means. If I go left, we need to go to her room. And he said, Please just come with me. And they opened the door to the room where there was couches and a chair. And my mom was sitting in the middle of a couch, flanked on the other side by a nurse. And she just looked up at me and screamed. And I had like 15 seconds of processing. Like, I'm like, well, what do, what do you mean? Like, what, what, what's going on? And she, my mom just kept saying, she's gone, she's gone, she's gone. And I remember kind of like when you walked in the room, there was an armchair right there. And I just kind of like slunk down onto the arm of the chair as it like processed. And I didn't cry. I didn't react because I felt this moment shift where it was like that went into a box and I had to take care the way that Jesse took care, right? So all of a sudden we were in this room, we were waiting for my, sis my other sister and my dad to arrive and the hours went by, all these things were going on. 
and the someone from the hospital came and they're like, we're so sorry to do this. We're going to have to relocate or have you guys, you know, start making your way out. And I'm like, well, why? And the, they opened the door to the hallway and it was full of people. Jesse's friends who had heard what happened and they didn't know what to do other than to show up at the hospital. And I started looking around at all of them and even so many people I didn't know. And I'm like, wow, she's had this impact that like, she had such a great impact on someone that they showed up at a hospital, like uninvited, not knowing what to do. And over the course of those next few days, our, my parents' home was just full of people who were just hurting and grieving and I could see Jesse in each one of them. And so when we were planning for the funeral, we started thinking about, you know, we didn't want flowers, right? Like we already had flowers, we already had food. What, did, what would we want to do? And so we said, I worked for a bank and so we got the EIN number, at, like a, you know, what we needed to open a bank account. And we said, in lieu of donations, or in lieu of flowers, you know, please consider making a donation to what we at the time just called the Jessica Drew Scholarship Fund, thinking we would collect a little bit of money and be able to give a scholarship to a student in Jesse's memory. Um, and that would be what we did. Within six weeks, we had like over $12,000 um, in it. And we started looking at it and thinking, we could maybe do more. Uh, and so, that's where the Jessica Drew Sunshine Memorial Foundation um, or Memorial Fund was born in realizing that Jesse's legacy was going to spark this outpouring of generosity and remembrance uh, and that we had an opportunity to, to move forward and do something really special in her name. Um, and so within that next year, we were collecting money and we gave the first scholarship uh, in 2009 to students and held our first fundraiser of a golf outing um, later that fall and uh, then realized that we could go beyond just doing scholarships, which we've still done every year since, but um, that we could start giving back. And when we look at how we want to give back and who we choose you know, to, to give to, we've always tried to take it from the perspective of what would Jesse do? And who would she want to support? And, you know, that makes it really hard sometimes because she would have just given it all away, right? Like, she, the first person that asked. And so we've had to sometimes do the, like, not what would Jesse do? Because if, if we did that, we, we wouldn't be able to sustain supporting, you know, in perpetuity. But uh, that's, you know, kind of where we've gotten to. And so we've always led from that mindset of um, trusting the timing of everything, trusting that. Um, when need, when there is need that we can help with, that we'll be able to help and, you know, have trusted that process. We've never followed a budget or said we have to do this or we have to do that. Um, it's really been led from the heart of um, knowing that it would always be the right time because Jesse, oh, it was always the right time with Jesse. Wonder if you could do us a, a, another favor and just add a little bit more about Jesse by telling uh, about how she got her name and that story. You're, <laughs> you're, we're sitting around the table with you and your mom, and you were telling us yeah. a little bit more about the fund a few years ago, and, and that story is just priceless. So, like I said, I was four when Jesse was born, and I'm a twin, and so we had me and my twin sister Kayla. And my mom was pregnant. And so they were talking about, you know, the new baby coming and um, we're guessing, you know, is it going to be a boy or is it going to be a girl? And my mom thought it was a boy for sure. And so my dad thought it was going to be a boy for sure. And Kayla thought it would be cool to have a brother. And I remember sitting there and being like, it's going to be a girl. And I even told my parents that me and the dog were convinced it was going to be a girl because I needed like an ally in it. Right. And so my parent, my mom was so convinced that it was a boy that uh, she said, okay, well, if it's a girl, then you can name her. And so I was like, because she was like, that's never going to happen. So being almost four, I was in love with Punky Brewster, <laughs> the television show. And I wanted to be Punky. I would tell people my name was Punky. And so it made sense that if I had a sister that I would name her Punky. But I also really liked the name Jessica. 
<laughs> so I would never commit to it. So when my mom went to the hospital to have, you know, the baby, it was, she thought it was going to be a boy. I thought it was going to be a girl. And so I couldn't wait to name my new sister. And my mom said that she, when Jesse was born and they said, it's a girl. And she turned to my dad and was like, what? Here we go. <laughs> like, what is this going to mean? And as soon as I found out, unfortunately, when they said, well, it is a girl, what are you going to pick? I picked Jessica. <laughs> but it could have very well been funky. <laughs> yeah. What would your mom have done? <laughs> I like to think they would have honored it and we would have had this funky, punky <laughs> ray of sunshine. But fortunately for them, I picked Jessica that day. Such a great story. Thank you. <laughs> it is a great story. And, and again, we, we know, Lindsay, that this is a, you know, this is an emotional thing to talk about. And mm. we appreciate that you can talk about it, uh, you know, and with the emotion and with humor, uh, too. And, and, and the memory of your last exchange, your last verbal exchange, physical exchange with, uh, with Jessica is, is priceless and beautiful. And um, I'm so glad you could share that, as well as the story of, 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 how, she, of how she got named. Uh, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And thanks for acknowledging that, too. One thing that I really have always felt is um, when you leave those memories and that honesty in darkness, um, it can't grow and it can't, it can't be used for positive change. And so regardless of the experiences that hurt to talk about and that still get emotional, um, it's important to have those conversations because it's what makes us human. Uh, we just have to share this story. It's kind of an add on. Just two days ago, Michael had referenced the superintendent that we've, we've listened to and supported for a couple of years now. We had actually done her, her son's funeral a few years back. He had died and uh, unexpectedly also. And we, we've just listened to her periodically and she like you just has, a way of, of just really handling this process of grief with such dignity. And it's, it's really admirable. And we were just listening to her just the other day. And I, I know she would, she would be absolutely happy if we shared this. So she, she's this very kind of formidable woman uh, in so many respects. And um, she has been going up periodically to this cemetery to visit the grave, grave site of her, her son and she always goes on like Friday evenings uh, around the time that he actually, the last time she spoke with him or somebody made contact with him. And she's been doing this now for a couple of years. And, you know, with the, the clock change and things like that, she'll go up sometimes after dark and you're technically not supposed to be in the cemetery after dark. And, and there've been a couple of times where somebody's come in with a flashlight and she realized actually they weren't looking for kind of intruders necessarily. They were actually looking for deer because it's this countryside property. Okay. Beautiful. Anyways, long, long story short is she, at, at one point somebody came in with a flashlight and she dives behind some graves because she's afraid. And, and she just continues to go up weekend and week or every couple of weeks. And uh, it's just really impressive. But then another funny story is she every year and his uh, anniversary of his passing is coming up here in August. And every year she goes up and, and she lights a luminary that goes up into the sky in his honor and in his memory. And one year she, she lit this luminary and it went and it got stuck in a tree in the middle <laughs> of the cemetery. And the way she tells this story, we just can't even do it justice, but she, she lights this luminary, gets stuck in this tree. And she has this moment of like, Oh my gosh, this, <laughs> this cemetery is going to go up in flames. And, I, and at that point she was still was in the middle of her career and, and she's going to end up on the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> the cemetery goes up in flames. So, And she also shared in that, that there was a person, she noted a car, a woman in a car sitting at some distance watching this happen. So she knew she was going to be in trouble <laughs> because the person could get her, her license number and be able to report it when everything caught on fire fire you know that this is who did it and uh but you know that didn't happen the fire you know it, things did not catch on fire the cemetery is still there um and uh, she was not in trouble so uh but it, <laughs> that's such a great story though but we appreciate that that we know that healing is taking place when we are able to look back and and look at these kinds of situations and laugh and right. see the humor 
the absurdity sometimes um, in 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 the in in things about the person we loved and in the situation surrounding it and and so we uh, we honor that uh, and we honor that in you today for uh, your your the, the healing that we know as hard as it still is that is occurring um, in, with you and uh, appreciate that. Thanks. One of the one of the phrases, Lindsay, that we often use in our work. And in our own lives, personally, it's a kind of a mantra that we've taken on is that we have to sometimes lean into discomfort and leaning into discomfort means it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful. Mm. Those feelings are going to be raw. And today, all three of us, we didn't even mean for this to happen, but all three of us are wearing black. And I just would like to ask, how are you in the current situation that we all find ourselves in leaning into discomfort? I know earlier you had talked about, we're all kind of in this spirit of, of mourning to a degree. And uh, we'd just like for you to talk a little bit about how you're, you're leaning in. Sure. Uh, leaning in is such a good way, you know, to, to describe it. Um, one of the things I think maybe from going through the magnitude of that kind of loss and the other things I've experienced in life is, we can't, we can't decide or determine what we do or don't experience. The only thing we have control over is how we handle it and how we go forward from it. And um, recognizing that sometimes you have to lean in and you have to let it hurt. There are things that you, that you have to feel so that it imprints that memory that you can grow from. Because if we just shut it out and move on and pretend like everything's okay, then we're doing ourselves a disservice in finding opportunity in the hard times. Um, and, you know, during this time of life, you know, I'm a mom and I run my own business and I'm a school board director and I'm running for office. And so the, the pressure has felt great. Um, prior to all of this, right? And then you add in those moments and there are times where I have just had to say, we're pulling the plug today and we're gonna feel it today. And, and maybe I don't even feel anything in that moment because there are times where I think I've just gone numb. And uh, you know, I've been very open in saying in some of those early days in quarantine where everything just felt incredibly overwhelming, I had to shut off so that I could recover. and and recognize and understand um, what was going on around and how to best maneuver, you know, through that instead of just pushing forward and pretending like the, the feelings weren't there. Um, and so I think in, whether it's right now during this time or any period, you know, of life is you have to allow yourself grace um, to recognize that like, no matter who you are, hurt happens emotion happens um it's it's what you do with it and it's it's how you acknowledge it and when you allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to you know i've always been aware of your heart on your sleeve like i have no poker face right like i show what i feel in my face and so i've always recognized that about myself but i don't pretend to to be unaffected by anything because that only harms me um and it and it also prevents me from relating to other people or other people to potentially be like, oh, well, they view me as someone who has it all together or can handle something. If I don't show that life is real and feelings are real, um, that that could potentially make them think that it's not okay to show that as well. And so uh, I try to lead and live my life in a very honest, vulnerable way to say that it's okay to not be okay. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Pensy. We are volunteers at Wonders Found Thrift Shop and proud sponsors of the Someone to Tell It To podcasts. Wonders Found is a totally volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We also support local missions and people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. 
We provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, mountcalvaryumc.org backslash wonders found, or stop in to see what wonders you will find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard. God bless. Thank you. Yeah. Um, over a century ago, uh, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt at the time made a much lauded statement that is often repeated today and serves as a reminder and an inspiration to, to Tom and me and, and we know to many other people. And this is what he wrote. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit be, uh, to make the language a little bit more inclusive for today. Yeah. And especially because of you, our, our, our special guest. But he wrote, he wrote this. It's not the critic who counts. Not the person who points out how the strong woman stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes out strong again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. Mm -hmm. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends herself in a worthy cause? who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if she fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. You are in the arena, Lindsay. <laughs> Very much. You've just talked about that. You just alluded to that. So as a, as a current local elected official school board member, and as one now who is a candidate for a larger off office with a broader reach, a state representative in Pennsylvania, you are, as we said, in the arena. What's it like to be in the arena, <laughs> especially now, especially now during COVID? And how, you know, has the arena, you know, how difficult has it been to navigate? What, you know, where have been the moments of triumph and, and, and delight? And, you know, what about the moments in which you've gotten beaten up? And uh, say, more, <laughs> say more about that. We know it's a, it's a huge question. Yeah. Um, well, first, that, that quote is just so... I'm going to have to put that down. Like, I think I need to print that out and put it <laughs> everywhere because it's so reaffirming um, and, and, you know, makes me remember that, like, it's not easy to get off the sidelines and, and be part of something. Um, it's very easy to sit on the sidelines and to have opinions or to, you know, put things forward, but to move out of that. Um, and first and foremost, I, I think that, getting into that arena from a, a public service, public office perspective uh, is something that's not for, for everyone and not to anyone's fault, right? Like one thing I keep reminding myself through all of this is if it was easy, anyone would do it. Everyone would do it. Um, and so I try to, to find comfort and strength in that and recognizing that feeling called to to lead um, is a gift that I've been given. Um, and I want to, to do that with the most honor that I can, um, recognizing that not everyone receives that moment in life. Um, but it's not, you know, it's been a roller coaster of, of times, you know, first as a school board director, um, that was kind of that first entry into being in the arena and recognizing that you have a, a different level of uh, scrutiny and eyes on you um, to, to see what you do. And as a person who is, uh, lives life in a very open way without a lot of uh, censorship on myself, like I've had to learn that, right? Understanding the power that my words or decisions can sometimes have 
um, and how that can make other people feel and recognizing that I don't get to decide how they make other people feel. I can only put them out in a way that is as thoughtful as possible, um, recognizing that people may never understand where I'm coming from. Um, so for me, it, it's not the ease or difficulty of navigating, it's recognizing um, the responsibility. And I've felt that greatly through this time. Uh, it's always interesting, you know, I think I do feel this sense of gratitude for being able to, to run for office and uh, have this, you know, this opportunity um, to try and make a difference in that way, knowing that it could go either way. I like to think it's going to go the victorious way because I'm putting in the work in right now, but recognizing that like, even if it doesn't, what do I want to have accomplished and done for others as a result of the efforts? Um, and so in these times when you're feeling a lot, when you want to be brutally honest, um, I've definitely had to navigate learning that there are times where I can't just say something. I've got to think through it. Um, and it's actually been a really incredible learning experience for me as an individual because I, I've learned how to calm those knee-jerk reactions that, uh, you know, so I've grown a lot as a person, as a mom, as a leader, um, you know, in that and being able to sit back and look at it from all perspectives um, and, and do the work, do the homework to understand the issues or the situation at hand so that when I speak, um, I can confidently know that I have justified and, and, uh, you know, come from a place of, um, of truth within, you know, myself. Uh, but this is definitely not an easy time trying to figure out where one area of your life can cross over and where, you know, personal experiences can kind of get brought into it where you're like, how is this even relevant? Um, but those things are beyond your control. And so, you know, like I've said before, it's all about how you respond and how you, uh, how you handle, you know, each step of it. And so for me, really, the, like, being in the arena is just to not be defensive uh, or, or not become jaded or, you know, just all I can do is keep being me um, and, and hope that by being authentic and being genuine, that that always prevails. One of our pre previous guests, for those who are tuning in consistently, was Dr. Mary Frances Berry, and she's lived this kind of legendary life. And I think we had sent you her, her episode. And one of the things that she said in the episode that really stood out to us, she said, when you are in the limelight, you make a good target. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the things that you're describing right now, I would like for you just to talk a little bit about when is the appropriate time to put the limelight on yourself? you most recently we know have had the limelight put back on you with some exposure that has, has been made public and, and when is the appropriate time to, uh, to, to put some of those things out there? You've talked about your, your times of depression and about experiencing some abuse. And could you just talk about what it's been like to be open about those things in, in the public arena and how people have reacted to you? Yeah. Um... It's certainly one of those things where, you know, you have to go into these moments and these, uh, you know, decisions to run for office or do those things with your eyes wide open, recognizing kind of like, you know, I was talking before that nothing's off the table and you hope for the best of humanity to, to come through. You hope that people uh, approach things the way that you do and that sensitivity or um, understanding and compassion is applied, but that's not always the case. Uh, and so most recently, um, a poll went out uh, by my opponent that addressed what, what you mentioned, uh, that I have, you know, had times of depression and um, that I am a survivor of sexual assault from when I was a teenager. And um, fortunately for me, I feel that because of the way I've lived, because I 
have tried to heal by being open and sharing, you know, that experience. And that didn't always come, you know, to, to be, that's not always how I was. It took a long time for me to recognize the voice that I had uh, and the power that was in that voice to be able to share those experiences in the hopes that it helped someone else who was going through it. Um, but because I'm there now, um, it doesn't take the sting away when people bring that to the forefront, you know, to have someone put that out there that you've never even had a conversation with that person about, um, or if they were wondering what the intention was behind using that experience. Um, they weren't ex exposing something that I haven't openly, you know, talked about. I have publicly, you know, come out and addressed the fact that there have been times where I've battled depression, you know, since I was a young person, like that's life, that's truth. And uh, it's not something I'm ashamed of. Um, and, and battling the process of surviving, you know, sexual assault, I didn't report it when it happened, because uh, the offender told me no one will believe you if you talk about it. And looking back at that time, I believe that's true. I believe that it wouldn't have been a, a positive experience to have to go through that. Recognizing that the more people talk about things and the more that we're honest about our experiences, the more we change and the more we're open to hearing those things has inspired me now to say, I maybe couldn't do it then, but I can now. And I, my hope is that the more I talk about these things now, I don't do it for to elevate myself or to gain sympathy or do any of those. It's to say like we go through hard times and it's how we deal with them and overcome them that um, that makes us who we are. And my hope is that experiencing those things and talking about them may help someone else so that when they're in a situation like I've been in, um, that they feel empowered to not hide from it. Um, but from the, you know, I believe Michelle Obama's when they go low, we go high is the way I live my life. And um, from a campaign perspective, I entered this is personal attacks, bringing up personal things about, you know, my opponent or, or whomever is not the way I go about doing things. I wholeheartedly believe that if I have to resort to that level of behavior, uh, to, to win, then I don't, there's not enough, then I've run out of things to say about why I should be in that office and what I can bring to it. And so I choose to focus on the positive things, understanding that in this situation, it was brought to the forefront. Um, I was on vacation <laughs> with my family and in the pool with my son, uh, and my phone started erupting, uh, exploding with messages as people were receiving this poll and really just taken aback and made uncomfortable. And, um, I'm so grateful to the people in my life who know that they can bring those things to me that that can have the, you know, it, it can't be easy as a friend or as a colleague to hear something like that about someone you care about and then take it to that person and have to be the one to maybe break the news to them that these things are being talked about publicly. Um, so first and foremost, I felt like an immense gratitude um, that people feel that they can talk to me and that they can bring that forward and not be the bad guy for it, right? But the response has been phenomenal from an, a place of inspiration, of realizing that we are moving forward as a society of, of being able to recognize um, where we need to have compassion and where we need to have empathy. And um, I wouldn't have chosen this <laughs> experience to happen as, uh, a way to relate or to show strength. Um, but I believe that that's what it accomplished because I've been able to have some really amazing conversations as folks reached out to say, it's not okay that that's what, you know, was spoken about. It's not okay to use, to use someone's struggle as a weapon in politics. Um, and so, while I certainly can wrestle with the emotion of it as a human being, um, there's part of me that, that is almost glad that they did it because it forces conversation. It forces people to recognize 
you know, what is right and what is wrong and who we want to be. And in this time of, and political climate that we live in, where everything is just so divisive and personal that we can recognize that there are so many things that unite us. Um, and I've had, you know, really great conversations where people have said, the way that you handled that and the, the honesty you brought forward and the high road that you took shows me more about you than it would ever show me about that, you know, my opponent. And so I'm going to vote for you because of that. Um, you know, if I was on the fence before, I'm not on the fence now. Um, and so that's where I believe that, like, being able to be honest and, and put it out there is powerful. Um, it's not easy, but it's powerful. And people see that. And then people get to have their own moments where they say, me too. Or um, I'm now inspired to speak out. And, and defend or, you know, or, or do something, whatever the cause. So my hope is that uh, whatever, you know, happens in this election as these dirty moments, you know, kind of come to, to light that uh, we can use it for the good. When, when we can remind others or tell others that they're not alone in their struggles, in their experiences and their fears and their traumas, whatever it may be, we're doing something really valuable. Uh, yeah. for them. And, and we want to thank you for understanding that, for recognizing that, for embracing that, and knowing that when you talk about your own, your own struggles, your own experiences that haven't been easy or good, that you know you are helping others to be able to process and bring theirs into the light, because it is only in the light that they can be healed and um, that's so so important thank you we know that our time is is is, is running out uh, this has been a wonderful conversation but we want to ask you we want to ask you this question um as professional listeners this is what we do as you know i mean we're always interested in how listening informs and affects and makes a difference in in others lives so, you know, can you talk about a little bit about what it's like to, to understand that how important listening is in the work that you do, you know, and particularly in the arena right. know, as, a public, as a public servant, uh, you know, how does listening, you know, how does it play out for you? And, and what have you learned about the need for listening in, in, in every aspect of life, especially, especially the, the arena? Right. So one of the things, you know, that really I've, I talked about kind of what brought me through service and, uh, you know, got me kind of here, but I believe that that's all culminated, right? So it's, you know, when people say, what was your moment? And I talk about losing Jesse and then also being a mom and all the other things, um, that's all culminated. But what, what made me decide in this moment, because let's be honest, 2020, like, it was not on my radar to run for this office at this time in my life. Like I've got plenty of other things that like were on the plate, but it felt too important. Um, the biggest thing that has me running for this office is people don't feel heard. They don't feel listened to. And that is the core of, of what this is. You know, I have the things that I'm running for the issues, the, the solutions and the leadership that I believe, you know, I can bring from experiences, you know, to office. But the primary part of it is bringing listening back and making, uh, making that be a, a foundational piece of the way that we live life and the way that we make policy and uh, serve the community. Um, and, you know, for me, that's our starting point. Like, if people don't feel heard, that sends them down a path of potential for negativity, right? The, whether or not that their voice is going to make a change in the decision-making process or not, when you give people the opportunity to listen and you listen and intently and you know, hear it, we can find common 
goodness in one another. We can find the things that unite us rather than what divide us. And so listening is everything. You know, I continue, I keep having conversations and we have weekly phone banks to reach out to voters uh, and, and do that. And I've talked to, to so many of our volunteers because we're really fortunate to have a great group of volunteers here in this area, but we've also been able to build networks around the country uh, of people who make calls on our behalf. And I always make sure to join the start of those when it's a new group to talk to them and say, we're doing this because we need people to know Lindsay Drew is running for office and, and have that recognition for when they're ready to, you know, cast their vote. I'm like, but one thing I always ask people is to not lose sight of the fact that our priority is to listen. And so I say, when you're making these calls, understand that you may get someone on the phone that talking about whether or not they're going to vote for Lindsey Drew doesn't matter. Like, they don't want to talk about that. I'm like, but they may need to be listened to. They may need to be heard in some way. And we can use this opportunity of outreach that we're doing for a totally different reason to be the solution for them that day. And so I ask folks, like, don't worry about how many calls you're going to get through. If you're going to spend 20 minutes because someone just needs to talk about what's going on and be heard, like, that does more than 10 other calls, you know, ever could because it's helping them on an individual level. And as I talk to folks who, for, you know, whatever ideological reason or political reason, they're not going to vote for me, that's okay. Because all I want at the end of the day is to know that whether or not you're going to vote for me, whether or not I'm going to serve in this office, if you need someone to hear you, if you need to experience and know what that's like, I'm here. And if I can leave that, if I can inspire some change uh, in, the, in any part of this process so that people feel that they can be heard um, and that someone will amplify their voice after hearing them, then we've won, right? Because it makes us better as a community and it makes us better as a culture um, and, and it's where we need to go. And, so when you look at all of the things that, whether it's campaigning, whether it's policymaking, whether it's just talk, you know, day-to-day -day living, when we listen and when we listen first, there's power in that. And we can do great things um, just by being open to receiving, uh, you know, someone else's voice. This has been such a joy. We could honestly spend probably hours just being together. I always enjoy talking. Yeah. I love our conversations. We do too. And, and I think just your words about listening, it's why we have connected so deeply with you. I think it's why we've found such uh, a similar way of, of seeing the world and, and wanting to give back to the world and to serve the world. And, and uh, just thank you and your mom and your sister uh, for believing in someone to tell these work. Um, for those of you who are listening, the Jessica Drew F Foundation supported our, our public service announcement, which went live probably two years ago, I think. Has it been two years? Maybe a year and a half. Isn't it crazy how time, <laughs> isn't it crazy how time goes by? <laughs> But uh, that, that really took off. And, and actually, it's in the process of right now of being reworked and, and, and kind of being rebooted again. And we're excited to see where it goes. So thank you to you and for your support always. Um, well, thank you. It's always been a very um, easy decision as a, as a person, as you know, with Jesse's son, with any of these things to support the work that you're doing, because I believe in it just wholeheartedly. And to see, you know, the things that have been in my mind as a, as a way that I live my life, you know, just like inherent intrinsic beliefs of like the way that we should interact with other people, seeing what you've been able to do uh, with that as an organization is empowering. And um, I love when I get to make connections. If we have just a minute, I just want to do the one about the, at the medical center um, where Absolutely. we- Oh, uh, remarkable. It was one of the most defining moments and will probably always be one of my favorite things is uh, through talking about, you know, various, you know, the work at Sunshine Memorial Fund and whatnot, um, you interacted with a group uh, at the Medical Center of Nurses and hearing this story, still gives me goosebumps, 
in which you ask someone at the end of it how they found out about you and, and how they were able to make that connection in honoring a fellow employee. And uh, she said, the Jessica Drew Sunshine Memorial Fund. And then it went a step further into, it was um, someone that was in the car with Jesse that day. Mm. And that through her following our work, led her to you and that that was able to to drive in a different direction you know what a testament to paying it forward um i'm also incredibly personally grateful because it allowed me to reconnect with her and i've now had conversations with her um, and have been able to to do that and uh she was able to sign my petition to get onto the ballot and we were able to have those conversations about how this all like kind of comes full circle in so many different ways um, so thank you for the well, work that you're doing, because while it came full circle for you in that way, as a result of you sharing that story, it came full circle back for me. And um, that was powerful. So and we, the, there's more to that story, just a little bit more to that, to that story, too, for us that on, on that day that we, we, we visited with that team of, of nurses and, and, and therapists at the, at the Hershey Medical Center, uh, it was very early in the morning because we had to do it before their shift began at se- seven o'clock. So we were there, you know, six thirty in the morning or something. And when we were when we were finished, we we came um, back to 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 my house because it's closest to to the medical center. And uh, we also full disclosure, your mother lives behind me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on the next street behind me. And we, we noticed that her light, there was a light on in her house. And, and, and we said, we have to stop and we have to tell your Karen of what, who we just ran into, who we just saw. And so we, we, with a little bit of trepidation, went up and rang the doorbell. We hope that she's not, you know, going to wonder who's ringing the door at seven in the morning. Um, and she came and she was in her nightgown and her robe and, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, she was surprised to see us. And we said, we have to tell you this. And she was just, you know, overcome and overwhelmed too with that story that we had met this, you know, this younger, this now, you know, adult who was uh, with your sister in the car that day and um, who survived. And, uh, and then to be able to tell you and, 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 and your sister. I, and, yeah. And, and, and Wow. I think I shared with you too that that day was um, there was a lot of, of other things going on, and I needed that. Like that was everything I needed that day was to hear that story and to remind me um, of when that there's good, right? Yeah, and that we all need to be heard. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so just. I'm so honored and proud to be able to to help and be a part of anything that you guys are doing and and support that and um, you have made a difference in so many lives and so thank you for the work you're doing. Well, we're really, cheering for you these next. Honor to know months. you. Well, thank you. Cheering for you and uh, most important. If anyone's interested, you can go to uh, drewforstatereps.com yes, <laughs> to learn more you. about me. <laughs> And just coming full circle, we just really, really appreciate your your vulnerability, your openness, and and the fact that you're willing to lean into discomfort with the the passing of your sister years ago to current day, you know, being open about your depression and your your own sense of loneliness and and all kinds of things like that. Uh, we know that you're making it such a significant difference in the world. So thank you. And it, again, it reminds others that they're not alone. Yeah, no, they truly are not. And so uh, my hope is that any of this, if, if one person uh, hears us and says and recognizes that they're not alone, then everything is, is worth it. So thank you. We wish you well. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Good luck. Stay safe. Take care. You too. Bye. 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 One of the things I appreciated so much about this interview, Tom, was Lindsay's openness and vulnerability about, uh, you know, what it felt like to lose her sister in a tragic way, uh, about some depression that she's lived with, as well as an, a, a sexual assault that she had in her past. The fact that she would share those things and allow them to to, to be used as in, inspiration for what she's doing today for helping others, um, I just I'm very impressed by that. Yeah, as we had titled this interview, she's in the in the arena. 
We are all living in a very unsettled and an anxious time right now with the pandemic and then a whole host of other uh, cultural and societal issues that are being addressed. We, we hope and, and know that you will find encouragement in this, this interview as we did. And um, it's again, we mentioned earlier on that it's one that we're going to go back and listen to again because we, we value people who are truly in the arena of life who are facing their challenges and rising above them, uh, whatever they might be, being a single mom, economic downturn, uh, inequalities. We just really value being around people who, who are in the arena of life and, and um, doing their best to, to make the most of their situations. And we know the fact is it's not easy. There are plenty of critics, who people who want to tell you what you've done wrong, what you have not done right, uh, who want to who want to disagree, who want to give you a hard time, and sometimes um, really hurt your reputation. And uh, so we're just grateful for people who are able to persevere through that, and will continue to stay in the arena to do the best they can to help make this world a better place. So if you like this interview today, if you like our other interviews, our other podcasts, we hope that you'll want to support us and support the work that we do to bring hope and inspiration and education to people through these interviews. Uh, we invite you to go on patreon.com, patreon.com, where you can donate on a one-time basis or a monthly basis, which would be tremendous. And we appreciate everyone, everyone who donates and everyone who supports this effort to make these podcasts possible. So thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, someone to tell to Instagram and Twitter. And so until we listen again. <laughs>